grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter, verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus, the manger child of Bethlehem, dear friends, you who are here in God's house this morning, you also Christian friends who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. Today we are celebrating the festival of Epiphany. We are also taking note of the fact that this is the first Sunday of a new year. The word Epiphany means a manifestation or a showing forth and this festival commemorates the manifestation of Jesus as the Savior to the wise men. The festival of Epiphany is also called the Gentile Christmas because the wise men were not Jews, they were non-Jews, or as we call them, Gentiles. The festival of Epiphany is also called the festival of the twelfth day because it always comes on January the 6th, which would be Wednesday of this week, 12 days after the regular Christmas of December the 25th. Epiphany is the oldest festival in the Christian church, for it was celebrated even before the Christmas of December the 25th. So many of the Eastern Christian churches will celebrate their Christmas this coming Wednesday, and they did not celebrate on December the 25th when we celebrated Christmas. We may say the festival of Epiphany, the coming of the wise men from the East, they who were Gentiles coming and finding the Christ child. We may say this morning what happened after Jesus was born in the manger. Well, we know that on the eighth day in Bethlehem he was circumcised, as were all Jewish boys, and given the name Jesus. Thirty-two days later, Mary and Joseph took him, which means he was forty days old at the time. They took him from Bethlehem, and they went to Jerusalem to the temple. And there they found, as we heard last Sunday, they found Simeon the seer who blessed the Christ child, and Anna the prophetess was there also. Then Mary and Joseph with the child came back to Bethlehem, there to live. And it was some time after that when the wise men came from the east. And as these wise men came from the east, they came to Jerusalem and they asked the question, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Seemingly, Jerusalem knew nothing about his birth. But this morning, as we celebrate the Epiphany Festival, we are interested in what the wise men had to say about this Christ child. And we ask them this morning, Wise men, 
Well, what do you say about this child, Jesus? And their answer is this, what child is this? He is no less, they would tell you and me, than the king of the Jews and more. He is the king of the Jews, but he's more than the king of the Jews. He is also the king of the Gentiles as well. He is not only the savior of the Jew, he is also the savior of the non-Jewish world, both Jew and Gentile. He is the king of all men. That's the answer of the wise men today on this festival of Epiphany. And you and I, as we celebrate it, we may look at this child again and listen to the statement of the wise men, this is the king of the Jews and more, because they came, they who were not Jews, they who were Gentiles, and they came and worshipped him as their king. We may say, but is there any conclusive evidence that Jesus was the king of the Jews and more, that he was also the king of non-Jews, Gentiles as you and I are? Is there any evidence? In the first place, I would offer this this morning. There is the evidence of the wise men themselves. How intriguing when we hear the story of the wise men. Oh, they came later, as we know, because Herod ordered the slaughter of the infants from two years and under. It may have been a year or more later after the birth of Jesus when the wise men came. But we wonder who were they? How many were there? You know, we talk about the three wise men, do we not? But the Word of God doesn't tell us that there were three. Tradition says there were three. Now, when I use the word tradition, understand that means it's not in scriptures. But again, it has grown up as part of the story. Perhaps the most obvious reason why we talk about three wise men is because they presented three kinds of gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so again, the world has said there were three. We do not know how many there were. It was quite a large entourage because they traveled a long way. And we ask ourselves, where did they come from? What do you mean from the east? Well, Bible scholars feel that that is not too difficult a thing to answer, to know where they came from. If you remember some of your Jewish history, you recall that in the year 586 before Christ, Nebuchadnezzar came out of Babylon and came and destroyed the southern kingdom, and he carried the Jews away into captivity down in Babylon. And then after 70 years, they were allowed to come back to their native land, being in exile that length of time. But many of the Jews remained in Babylon. And therefore, it's most obvious to feel that having Jews living in Babylon for over 600 years, Jews who knew of their hope, who knew of their Messiah, who spoke of it, it was very obvious that the people in Babylon, and many of them, would know about the Jewish hope and would be looking for that Messiah. And then, just as God, when Jesus was manifested to the shepherds who were Jews, did a miracle, and God again had an angel appear and announce Jesus' birth to the shepherds who were Jews, and again the angelic choir, so God again, in announcing that this Christ child is going to be the king of the Jews and more, king of the Gentiles, God works a tremendous miracle. We are told something about a star that arose in the eastern sky. Oh yes, astronomers tell us that back about that time there seemingly was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, and we say, does that answer the question? 
It was from Chaldea over to Jerusalem, over 600 miles. God placed a star. These wise men were astronomers or astrologers using something that they were interested in. There was a star that guided these wise men and their entourage over 600 miles through the desert by day and by night. Say what we will about the star. The only obvious answer is this, that God placed a star. Whether others saw it or not, that you and I do not know. But there was a star. And the wise men, as they saw it moving, they followed it, believing that this was going to be the answer to that hope that the Jew had in his land, and that here they would find the Savior for themselves too. And so the star, a miraculous miracle of God, brought them to Jerusalem. And when they came, they asked, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And when Herod, of course, heard about another king, and Herod thought that his throne, therefore, was in danger, Herod wanted to know all about it. He called the chief priests and scribes and says, Where is this king to be born? And they told him rightly that the prophet had said in Bethlehem. And they quoted Micah's prophecy. And then again, these wise men were certainly men of influence because they had an interview with the king. He called them together privately and he said, Just when did the star appear? Herod wanted to know how long has it been since you have seen this star he wanted to get an idea how old is this child and again they gave him all the information they had and he told them to go to Bethlehem there is where the king of the Jews was to be born and then to come back and to tell him about it and so they again they started from Jerusalem but bear this in mind when you start from Jerusalem you go south you're no longer going west and as they started south Lo, the star appeared again. We are told that they were thrilled. The star appeared. It was guiding them to the place where they wanted to go. They traveled six miles south, and they came to Bethlehem. And the star came, and it stood over the place where Jesus was. And we are told they went into the house. Jesus was no longer in the manger. He was in a house at the time, and Mary was there, and they went in. These heathen people... 600 miles from the east in Babylon. They had come to Jerusalem, and here was the king of the Jews and more. He was the king of the Gentiles, and they bowed down, and they opened up their gifts, and they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. On this Epiphany festival, we asked the wise men, Who is this child? What child is this? And their answer, he is the king of the Jews and more. He is the king of the Jews and also the king of the Gentiles. He is the savior both of Jew and Gentile, the savior of the entire human race. And here we are today on the threshold of a new year. Would to God that you and I would take this king of the Jews and more with us into this year. I'd like to ask you straight from the shoulder this morning, does it really do any good in your life and mine to take him along with us into a new year? Do you really see any difference? Or is that just stuff you heard about in church? Is that just stuff for nice people? Or does he make any difference in your life? If you and I take the King of the Jews and more along with us in this year, does he make any difference? Really now, does he? Do you see any difference in your life? Does he make this difference that when you and I take him along, as far as I'm concerned, to take him along, that means that in this year I am saved and I'm not lost? Does that mean anything to you and me? 
Has the, the glitter of salvation worn itself thin? Have you and I lost the thrill of being saved? Not knowing whether we're ever going to see the end of this year or not. Not knowing how soon death will come. Does it mean anything to have Jesus Christ, who is the King of the Jews and more, to be saved, to be rescued from sin, from eternal death, and to have heaven? Does it mean anything? When Jesus said it would be better that that man speaking about Judas had never been born, have you and I really come to grips with this and have said to ourselves, it would be better I'd never been born than to be without Jesus Christ and salvation? Could we look at it this morning in the light of the wise men? Salvation must be something tremendous. It must be something hilarious. If God Almighty, by a miracle, picked up some heathen men in Babylon, led them over 600 miles of desert, led by a star, brought them to Bethlehem and said, here is your Savior too. Here is the Savior, not only of the Jew, but the Savior of the Gentile world. If you and I can take him along, he does make a difference. It's the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between being saved and being lost. The festival of Epiphany. Yes, the coming of the wise men. And the wise men tell you and me when we say, uh, what child is this, wise men? And they say, this is the king of the Jews and more. Oh, yes, he's the king, the savior of the Jews, all right. But he's more than that. He is the savior of the Gentiles. He's the savior of Jew and Gentile, the savior of the world. And you and I may say today, at the beginning of a new year, uh, is there any evidence... Oh, there's the evidence, as I have mentioned, of the wise men themselves. But how about the evidence of prophecy? Did prophecy say that this babe was to be not only the king of the Jews, but more the king of the Gentile world too, the savior of all? When you look into prophecy, again, it's a tremendous thing. We go back to the Garden of Eden. You know, it's rather interesting. We don't know exactly where the Garden of Eden was, but the cradle of humanity was over in Mesopotamia, in other words, in Babylon, where the wise men had come from. Somewhere around in that area in the world, a God created man, and there was the Garden of Eden. And you know, when we go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they had sinned and there was Satan, you remember what God said to them, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God promised the seed of the woman that again would be the savior of Adam and Eve, who in embryo, they again had the world within themselves. There were no diverse races. The very first promise of a savior, the seed of the woman then, was one to be a universal savior, not just for one little group. Go to the time of Noah, when Noah blessed his oldest son, Shem. He did say, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Shem was again the progenitor of the Jewish race who are the Semitic people. In other words, this Messiah, this king would come from Shem. But he also said to Japheth, who was his second oldest son, Japheth shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Japheth, you shall enjoy the blessings that will come from Shem. Already, Japheth was again the forefather of all Gentile races. Gentiles were to share. You take Abraham. God told Abraham, who was the father of the Jewish race, he said, Abraham, 
in thee and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Prophecy never excluded the Gentile. Prophecy in telling that Jesus would come from the Jewish line nevertheless always included him as the Savior of the Jew, but more the Savior of the Gentiles. Take that matchless piece of prophecy that was our epistle lesson from Isaiah, the 60th chapter. Isaiah lived 700 years before the Christian era. And when he saw it, he says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Then he said, For Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Did you ever wonder why we, again, we have, we call them three wise men, we call them kings? The Matthew doesn't say they were kings. Isaiah says, and Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Our forefathers believed that the wise men companies were a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 60. Are they, that's why they called them kings. They were the Gentiles because they presented unto him gifts they presented unto him gold and frankincense. So again, we call them kings because Isaiah said, kings shall come to thy rising. And so again, prophecy certainly never excluded the Gentile world. That's you and that is I. We are Gentiles, non-Jews. We were never excluded. This babe was to be the king of the Jews, to be sure, but more. But then we look at Jesus and we say, well, how about Jesus himself? Was he a pure-blooded Jew according to the flesh, or was there any Gentile blood in the veins of Jesus? When I was in the Holy Land in the Middle East, we came to the ruins of Jericho, and I shall never forget that experience, seeing again the ruins where once stood the city of Jericho. And several members of the party who didn't know the story that had occurred, they came up and said, well, what happened at Jericho? Would you tell us about it? What really took place? Well, you know, we remember this about Jericho, do we not? When Moses died and Joshua took command and they crossed the Jordan and they came and they surrounded the city of Jericho, you know, and on the seventh day they went around it seven times and the walls of Jericho fell. And that's about all that some of us remember about Jericho. But oh, there's an intensely interesting thing that the Bible tells us. Remember Joshua sent spies into the city before they took it and they went to the home of the prostitute of the city of Jericho and her name was Rahab. Remember Rahab? And Rahab hid the spies so that they weren't killed. And then she was promised by the spies that when they would take the city of Jericho that if she would put a scarlet cord in her window and have her family in that house, uh, that the Israelites would not hurt her or her family. The town prostitute put a scarlet cord in the window. Rather strange, isn't it? 3,500 years ago, a prostitute put a red cord in her window and to this day the places of ill fame in cities and metropolitan areas are still called red light districts after the red cord. And prostitutes are called scarlet women because Rahab 3,500 years ago put a red cord in her window. 
but it's also significant that the blood of Jesus is red. And that shed blood of Jesus, that cord in the window as it saved her from being killed, isn't it wonderful that the blood of Jesus, red, even makes prostitutes and scarlet women whiter than snow? Wonderful, isn't it? That took place in ancient Jericho, where it was my privilege because of you to stand. But all the story goes on, Salmon, a Jew, married her. He married Rahab, this prostitute, and they had a son, and his son's name was Boaz. Did you ever hear of Boaz? And Boaz owned some ground around Bethlehem, and then there came into Bethlehem a Gentile heathen girl, a Moabitess by the name of Ruth. A Jewish family had gone to Moab, you remember? A father and mother and two sons, and the sons had married Moabitess girls, and then the men died. And then the mother, Naomi, wanted to come back to Israel. And the one daughter-in-law who was a Moabitess, a heathen, her name was Ruth, remember the story? And Ruth walked with her to the border, and Naomi told her goodbye and to go back to her gods. And this little Moabitish young lady said, No, no, I'm going along, Naomi. Your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. And where you lodge us, that's where I'm going to lodge. And where you rest, that's where I'm going to rest. And where you die, that's where I'm going to die. And then this Boaz, who was a Jew, who had flowing in his veins prostitute blood of Rahab, a Gentile, married Ruth the Moabitess, who was a Gentile. And then the word of God says that Boaz and Ruth had a son, and his name was Obed. And Obed had a son, and his name was Jesse. And Jesse had a son, and his name was David. And Jesus was from the family of David. Therefore, in the very veins of the Son of God, according to flesh, there flowed not only Jewish blood, but there flowed Gentile blood, the blood of Rahab, the scarlet woman of Jericho, and the blood of Ruth, the Moabitess, who had embraced the true God. I ask you this morning, in the mercy of God, could God have done something more beautiful and noble to convince you and me that his son, yes, the king of the Jews, but oh, more than that, the king of the Gentiles, of the non-Jews, the savior of all men, could God in his mercy have done it any more beautifully than just that? And that's why this morning on the first Sunday of a new year, I ask you, let's take him along. Does he make any difference? Let's get down to brass tag. Does he make any difference in your life or mine? Or do we just kid ourselves? I insist that he makes a difference. 
when you take him along, the difference between being saved and being lost, but there's another thing. It's the difference between having peace of mind and not having it. I don't care who you are or how intelligent or educated you may be. I know this just as sure as I'm sure that God lives. There isn't any peace of mind outside of Jesus Christ. If you've got peace of mind apart from him, you're just deluding yourself. You don't have it. It's the ostrich complex. You're just burying your head. I know this just as sure as I'm alive that the only peace of mind that can come to you is the only kind that can come to me because I've got a guilty conscience and so have you. I know that I'm a sinner and so do you. And the only way in the world to get rid of a guilty conscience is not to cover it up and not look at it, but again, to take Jesus Christ and let his blood wash it whiter than snow. And when again he washes your soul and mine whiter than snow that conscience no longer condemns, well then you and I have got peace of mind. Oh, troubles are going to come. Who in the world is going to escape trouble in this year? All of us shall have troubles. The big thing is, how shall we bear them? But I know this, that if I've got him, and I've got forgiveness every day in him, and I belong to him, that in spite of what comes, I know he's not punishing me. I know that he is not angry with me. I know that he loves me. And I know my sins are forgiven. It does make a difference, friend. Whether you take him along or not, it makes a tremendous difference. Oh, Epiphany, that tremendous ancient festival of the church, when again Gentiles said, this is our Lord too. He's the king of the Jews, but he's more than that. He's the king of the Gentiles. And we say, is there any evidence? Oh, not only the evidence of the wise men and not only the evidence of prophecy, but the evidence of Jesus himself and his church. When you stand at the cross of Christ, did Jesus ever say that again his salvation that he was rendering on the cross was only for a certain few? Didn't Jesus say, for God so loved the world? Didn't he come to be the world's savior? Didn't Christ as the son of God come into the world and therefore show himself to be big enough to die for your sins and mine and also for the sins of the Jews as well as non-Jews? The tragedy of it all is that Jesus says he came to his own and his own received him not. Oh, yes, they don't receive him. But, oh, that manger child, he was the king of the Jews. But, oh, thank God he was more. He was your king and mine, too. He was the king for everybody. When he picked Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus wave, he told Saul that he was to be, again, his witness to the Gentiles. And Paul went out and he preached to the Jew and he preached to the Gentiles. Look at the Christian church today, predominantly Gentile. This Savior, the Savior, again, the King of the Jews, but also the King of the Gentiles. His church is absolute evidence to you and me that the babe of Bethlehem, this one that the wise men came to worship, why, he is the King of the Jews, but he's more. He's the King of the world, yours and mine, the Savior of all men without exception. My prayer is today that as we stand on the threshold of 65, that we'll take him along. He does make a difference. Really, he does. God pity the man that doesn't have him, because if we take him along, I'm sure of this, we don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. I had two rather interesting experiences on the afternoon of New Year's Eve. I met two different people who expressed themselves about 
New Year's Eve. One said, I hate New Year's Eve. I hate it. I like Christmas Eve, but I hate New Year's Eve. And I wondered, why oh, hate New Year's Eve? The other one said, I don't know why, but I'm very despondent when New Year's Eve comes. Oh, I, I get the blues. I don't want to be alone. I, I want to be with somebody. I'm going to go to bed early, he said, to get it over with. I wonder how many of you this morning here in church and how many listening, I wonder how many of you are afraid of tomorrow. Did you hate New Year's Eve? Did you hate to think of a new year, what's coming in the new year, did you? I can tell you this. If you and I take along this king of the Jews that the wise men saw, you don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. Why, I don't care what tomorrow brings in your life and mine. I do know this, that when I have taken him with me, there isn't anybody going to take me away from him against my will. Look what happened. The wise men gave him the gifts. And then in a dream that night, God appeared to them and told them not to go back to Herod, but to go another way. And the next day, when Herod found out that again they had fooled him, Herod was simply filled with vehemence and with hatred. And he ordered the soldiers into Bethlehem and they killed all the little boys from two years and down. You see, he played it wide. He thought, this child can't be more than two years old. We'll kill them all. And then we hear a prophecy that Rachel was weeping for her children. I thought of that when I was in Rachel's tomb right outside of Bethlehem. She's standing for the mother again of believers and Rachel weeping for her children because they were dead. Rachel of old who died when she gave birth to Benjamin. But what happened? That same night the angel came to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up this very night and go to Egypt again flee for the child's life did God take care of this little babe and Joseph and Mary got up for the little babe and they started for Egypt now from again Jerusalem or Bethlehem down into Egypt to go down to Memphis or Heliopolis it's about 250 miles you may wonder where did Joseph get any money for a trip like that oh God saw to it those wise men they presented him gifts gold that's where in the providence of God God provided the money that he could go down to Egypt I was in Heliopolis I was down in Cairo. I was in a little shrine where they tell us that here it was that Joseph and Mary came down. They lived in Egypt. May have been there for about a year until Herod died. But God took care of that child. And again, after that time, an angel came and said, Herod is now dead. Now you can return. So Joseph and Mary with the child, they came back intending to stay in Bethlehem. But they found that Archelaus, Herod's son, was on the throne. They were afraid. So they didn't remain in Bethlehem. They went on up to Nazareth, up in Galilee, their hometown, about a hundred miles from Bethlehem and there they stay God took care of this king of the Jews and believe you me God will take care of you and he'll take care of me I stood in the desert seeing the sands and the tremendous heat and I thought of the wise men think of it 600 miles and you and I can stand today and say oh what a God again they knew this king king of the Jews and we can sing we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar field and fountain moor and mountain following yonder star oh star of wonder star of night star with royal beauty bright westward leading still proceeding guide us to thy perfect light he is the light of the world take him along friend 
when you've got him with you, you don't have to be afraid of tomorrow. And if we have him with us, well, then we can wish one another a real blessed, happy new year. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.